Father God, we are just so grateful for your love for us that you would even care about us, that you would send your son to die for us. God, you are good, and we want to give you all the praise and honor this morning. We pray it all in your name. Amen. You can be seated as you're seated. I'm going to send our K through fifth graders out over here. You guys head that way, and I want you just for a moment to take a notice of a couple of things as all of these kids move that way. I want you to see how many kids, first of all, that we have in our midst. I'm not sure if you realize this, but Paragon is almost a 50-50 split on kids to adults. That is an amazing thing. I know churches all over that would love to have that type of ratio. The second thing I want you to see is I want you to see all the volunteers that just got up and went out with all of those kids. I want you to thank those volunteers and just say they're doing a great job back there. And I also want you to know you can be one of those volunteers. And I know that that's something that we are going to be doing some training on at the end of this month and throughout the summer to prepare for the summer and to prepare for next school year already. I know kids and parents are already excited about next school year, but it's coming. And it's coming quick, and we're excited about it, so I hope that you are as well. Third thing I want you to see as you saw everybody go that way was the amount of teenagers who went and are serving back there. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. That is not typical. Typically, teenagers are ones who consume and don't contribute. So we can say thank you for that. Thank you for the development we see in that. And that is an amazing thing to be able to watch. But the last thing is you watch those teens and you watch those kids go out there. The thing I really want to point out, I want to encourage you, as Bruce already did at the beginning of the service, to step up and come alongside of them this summer for summer camp, for children's missions camp, for VBS. Be a part of that. I love hearing Bruce's story on how a scholarship got him to camp. And at that camp in 1990, you became, you became a follower of Jesus. Well, guess what? My story is almost identical, except mine was 1988. I had a scholarship that was sent me to camp. I didn't even want to go to camp. I didn't think that was normal. I thought it was weird. I wasn't a Christian. I'm like, why does everybody gather together and go sing songs in the mountains? That's weird. But guess what? The, the family came alongside. They said, we want you to go. Their kids were going. I got to go. I met Jesus. And I'll guarantee you, I was just a punk junior high kid at that moment. Not that much has changed, except I'm not a junior high kid anymore. I heard that over there. So... Uh, the thing is, I get to think about the investment they made. I think back then, it was like 100, 150 bucks to go to camp. They made an investment that they had no idea would have 34 years of return. So make that investment. And there's different ways you can do that this summer. We've told you already, gather those clothes together that you have in your closet. Gather those clothes together because we're going to be taking them down to Savers. Savers has a deal where they give money towards organizations. We're going to be taking that stuff down there. It, Here's an idea. I saw a bunch of garage sales yesterday. Go to a garage sale. Tell them, hey, at the end of that garage sale, you're just going to take this to Goodwill. Can I just take it so I can take it to my church so they can take it to Goodwill and get paid for it? Do something along those lines. Make sure that you're part of that silent auction on May 22nd. Make sure you check out that Paragon Church store on our website because every item you buy, $2 goes towards our kids. Or just make a financial decision and make a donation to change a life. And we will celebrate that life change with you today and hopefully for years to come. And speaking of celebrating what God does and how God works, 
We have baptisms and baby dedications next week. I am so excited about that. And uh, Jackson's back there in the back. He's going to be getting dedicated next week. Excited about that. And his dad, who is holding him, is going to be getting baptized along with three others. Excited about that. Be here for that. We wanted to do it at the pool. I went over the pool. They don't have enough lifeguards at this point in time to be able to do an after effect. So they said, well, you can do it during public swim. And I'm like, that'd be weird. So we're just going to do it here and, uh, and have it right here in a big dunk tank. So be here next week and celebrate with us. And we get to praise God. We get to praise God for all that he's doing and all the life change that he has. And speaking of praising God, do me a favor. Go to Revelation chapter 19 for me today. Revelation chapter 19. And as we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 19, we're going to be verses 1 through 10. In our passage today, we're going to see a word that I want you to underline or highlight or do whatever it takes to make notice of. And that word is hallelujah. 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 And as we look at that, we're going to see it four times in the 10 verses that we're going to read today. And surprisingly, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, you will not see that word any other place in the entire New Testament. The word hallelujah shows up here. Maybe if you remember at Christmas time, you've sung that hallelujah chorus and it's just that amping up that big huge celebration and praising of god this is the passage where that song comes from i was going to have kyle lead it this morning but we stuck with some other songs they just talked about hallelujah instead a handful of weeks ago we talked about the word amen i'm not sure if you remember that but when we talked about amen we talked about the fact that amen is across all different languages there's no other translation for amen in any other language that you're going to hear. Well, you know what? another word that does that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah and amen, they actually work together as we see it and we see it, praise God, across all tribes, nations, and tongues. Weird how that talks about that in Revelation, isn't it? Here's that, where we get that word from. Halle means praise. Yah is short for Yahweh, which means God. Praise God. Why are we praising God? Well, we have to sing about it already this morning, haven't we? For all that he has done, for all that he is doing, for all that he is going to do, we raise a hallelujah. We praise him. And when I say we praise God, you know, I got to, to look up the word hallelujah just to find out if it truly was true that's not in the New Testament. It's not. But you know where it shows up a whole, whole lot? In the book of Psalms. As a matter of fact, it opens many of the individual psalms with the word hallelujah. I'm just going to read through a handful of them as we go through. But starting in Psalm 106, 1, it says this word, hallelujah. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Psalm 111, 1 through 3, hallelujah. I will praise the Lord with all my heart in the assemblies of the upright and in the congregation. You know where that's at? Right here, right now. We praise God. The Lord's works are great, studied by all who delight in them. All that he does is splendid and majestic. His righteousness endures forever. Psalm 112, 1. Hallelujah. Happy or blessed is a person who fears the Lord, taking great delight in his commands. Psalm 113, 1 through 3. Hallelujah. Give praise. Servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be blessed both now and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, let the name of the Lord be praised. Psalm 117, the whole thing. I'm going to read all two verses. It says, praise the Lord, all nations. Glorify him, all peoples. For his faithful love to us is great. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. 
Psalm 135, one through three, hallelujah, praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, you servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for it is, his, it is delightful. Then the last five psalms all start with the word hallelujah as he wraps it up. It says this in Psalm 146, hallelujah my soul praise the lord i will praise the lord all my life i will sing to my god as long as i live hallelujah verse uh, 1 of 147 how good is it to sing to our god for praise is pleasant and lovely psalm 148 is bookended by hallelujah and it talks about all the reasons why we should sing praise to him psalm 149 1 hallelujah sing to the lord a new song his praise in the assembly of the faithful Psalm 150, listen to the whole thing, all six verses when it says, hallelujah, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with a harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Don't tell the Baptists that. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The end of the Psalms. Praise Him over and over and over again because of His powerful acts, because of His abundant greatness, because of what He has done, what He is doing, and what He is going to do. Now, if you head back to verse 1 of Revelation 19, you're going to see it again. You're going to see while we are praising you're going to see that we have finally made it. So if you would do me a favor, we haven't done this in a while because we've been doing long chapters, but if you are able, would you stand with me as I read Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10? Starts off with these words. After this, after what? Well, 17 and 18, and the fall of Babylon the Great, the fall of all the things that are going on that we talked about in the last couple of weeks says this after this i heard something like a loud voice in a vast multitude in heaven saying hallelujah that's your first one to underline salvation glory and power belong to our god because his judgments are true and righteous and because he has judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her righteous with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of the servants that were on her hands the second time they said the word hallelujah her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. A voice from the, came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all his servants and the one who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like a voice in the vast multitudes like the sound of the cascading waters, like the rumbling of a loud thunder saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, he reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he also said to, these, to me, these words of God are true. Then he, I fell at his feet and worshiped him. But he said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Instead, do what? Worship God because the testimony of Jesus and the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for the ability to be able to praise your name. Thank you for what you've done in our lives, what you are doing and what you are going to do. We want to give you all the praise and all of the honor in your name. We pray that. 
Amen. You can be seated. If you've been with us throughout Revelation, we've said this over and over and over again. This book is a book of encouragement. This is not a book of doom and gloom. I even like it how Kyle, when he was talking about the song, he says, I just, it's like this disappointment, this kind of thing that's kind of hanging over you. And, and that tends to be our natural reaction, but it's also a book of conviction and encouragement because of what we've just read. We have finally made it. We've made it to the hallelujah. We've made it to the praise God. We've made it to the reason why we are encouraged. We've been through the sevens, the seven letters, the seven seals, the seven trumpets of judgment, the seven visions and the bowls of wrath. We've been through the dragon. We've been through the beast. We've been through the, the great seduction of Babylon that is trying to pull Christians away. But you know what we celebrate? We celebrate the fact that those things don't get the last word. We celebrate the fact that Jesus is returning on a white horse. We celebrate the power and majesty that is tied to that. And as Jesus is about to come, heaven erupts with a hallelujah and praises to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've gone to lots of different sporting events in my life, and some of them were big ones where the wind at the end made the crowd just erupt. I think I've told you this before, but I got to be at Game 7 of the World Series between the Diamondbacks and the Yankees back in 2001. That's a long time ago now that I think about it. But I was there. I got to be there. It was in the bottom of the ninth. Guys, the base is loaded. Luis Gonzalez fists the little ball that goes up and over Derek Jeters. He tries outreach. Jay Bell comes home, scores the winning run, and the crowd goes absolutely nuts. Completely crazy. Deafening. You couldn't even hear it. But the reality is, as we look at heaven and the victory of our Lamb, the victory of that Lion of Judah we sang about, heaven is going to erupt with a hallelujah that's going to make that look like playtime. It's going to be awesome. And they're celebrating and praising God in this, this passage here. And they list out six reasons why, right up front from the first hallelujah. We praise hallelujah for salvation. We say hallelujah for glory. We say hallelujah for his power, for his righteous and true judgment, the judgment of Babylon, the not so great, and avenging the blood of the saints. And then comes the second hallelujah. The second hallelujah, the smoke of Babylon rises up for eternity. And people are like, why are we saying hallelujah for that? Because God is just for eternity. And we're praising him for that. Followed by a third hallelujah. When all of heaven falling down on their face in worship and all agreement shout the word, amen. Amen, hallelujah. All tribes, all nations, all tongues, all angels, the 24 elders, everybody on their face. The vast multitude. Verse 5 says this. A voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like a voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of a loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord, the Almighty, reigns. We've said this over and over again. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ that all of this is about him all of this is about his father as a matter of fact I'm not sure if you saw it there I pointed it out I highlighted it on the screen the middle of 19 before it shifts to Jesus coming back on the horse right there John falls down he starts to worship the angels the guy's like get up what are you doing and he stands up and he says we have one thing to worship and that is God worship God it is all about 
him it seems like this entire book as we've been going through it i'm not sure if you've noticed it but this entire book and really the entire bible is a constant fight on who am i supposed to worship is it god or self is it god or my own priorities who do i worship and it all comes to a head right here as babylon the great was trying to seduce christians and pull them away it comes to a head where we understand what the Westminster Catechism says. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is our end, the chief end of history. All history points to the glory of God. All today points to the glory of God. All future things point to the glory of God. All the history, the now, the future, the good, the bad, it's all about Him and His worship. Let that soak in for a second. Let that soak in as you go through the good. Let that soak in as you go through the bad. That it is all about Him and His worship both now and forever. See, here's a picture we see unfolding. Remember, John is seeing these visions. And Babylon, the non-Christian, anti-Christian culture, has surrounded the church. And they surrounded the church throughout the church's history, seducing people to come away from the church. Seducing with things like money and wealth and worldly pursuits and worldly passions. All of the things that we chase after. And he's seducing them to say, hey, you know what? I want you to cheat on God. I want you to have spiritual adultery on God. I want you to fall into the trap of spiritual idolatry. And we see it then. We saw it then. We see it even now. And as we see it now, this chapter, we see the church say, nope, not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. My deepest joy, my deepest, greatest pleasure, my most amazing satisfaction isn't found in Babylon the Great. It's not found in the things of this world. Instead, it's found in God and the worship of Him. I'm not sure if what you sang this morning, you felt that. The praises to our God as we lifted up the lion and the lamb, as we lifted up how great is your love, as we sang those things and said those words, that is why we are here. Our worship is about focusing on him. And we're going to stand in the middle of Babylon. We're going to stand in the middle of culture. And we're going to worship loud the God of heaven who created us, who loved us, who sent his son for us so that we could have a relationship with him. That is why we gather together here today. That is why we sing our songs. That is the reason why we do what we do. Because amongst all the things that the world throws us and tries to pull us away, we say no. Because our God alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is the one who satisfies. He alone is the one who is glorious. All glory belongs to Him. He alone is the one that is all-powerful. All power resides in Him. He alone is the one that is faithful and righteous and just. How many songs do we sing about His justice? I can't think of any. We don't sing a lot of songs about vengeance. It's kind of cool. But you know what? Psalm 49, 149, the one that we just kind of read the first part of, the entire thing is about praising God for his vengeance and his justice. So it is there as we sing those praises. He is the Almighty One who reigns. That's why it says in verse 6, Hallelujah, because our Lord, the Almighty, reigns. Worship God, not the wealth of Babylon 
not the power of Babylon, not the pleasures that it has to offer. Worship God. Then the next part of the chapter we covered on Easter. If you're here with us on Easter, we talked about the return of the resurrected king. The picture we see here commands reverence for him as he comes on this white horse in power and in majesty. The fact that he has king of kings and lord of lords written on his thigh and the ruling with the iron rod over all of the nations and he's going to bring his wrath against the sinful men and women of the world. As we see this picture, we already went into better detail into it on Easter, but let me just remind you just for a second. As we see this picture, if you're still worshiping the things of this world with your mind and with your actions, God is waiting for you to return to him. He's waiting for you to return to him. He's not wanting your casual and flippant attitude towards him or his casual worship he's not about to share his glory with anything or anyone else he wants you so please come in repentance and see your life be changed and church if you are in him if you are in him check this out we get to prepare for his coming that's what it says in verse 7. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride, the church, has prepared herself. Rejoice. The marriage of the Lamb has come. 24 years ago today, mine and Christie's wedding anniversary. It was our wedding day. And what a day. Months of preparation. I'd like to say I did a lot, but I didn't. It was all on her. She had all the preparation, all of the things that she was putting together for. We were going to celebrate and we were going to rejoice with all of our friends and all of our family. At that point in time, I was a youth pastor. All of their families, everybody came. And it was a large wedding. And in the process, we got to celebrate and we got to hang out together with everybody. But here's the thing. Everybody came in. They took their seats. I came walking in from the side with the, with the pastor who, who married us. And then our wedding party came walking down. The doors in the back closed. And when the doors in the back closed, everybody stood. They stood in honor of Christine. As they did, the doors opened. Those doors opened. I can still picture her face as she's standing next to her dad with a smile on her face. And tears welled up in my eyes. I still today, when I do weddings, carry a handkerchief with me because I'm glad the pastor who did because I had to wipe up my eyes so I didn't... I'm not a crier. I'm just going to be honest with you. But at that moment, there was something that was special that I just felt and I celebrate still today she came down she was handed off to me we said our promises we made our covenants we said our I do's we turned we faced and we walked out husband and wife and as we walked out husband and wife we rejoiced and we celebrated with those who were there and as we did we had the opportunity to just praise God for what he was doing and what he was going to do I had somebody ask me this week one of the kids teachers she said 24 years how did you guys do it i'm like she tolerates a lot that's really the boy it's one day at a time and lots of grace one day at a time and lots of grace and we praise god for it but i have a question for you what do you think would have happened if those back doors had opened and there wasn't anybody there what if somebody stuck their head around the corner was like hey it's gonna be a little while she's not quite ready a little bit of awkwardness. What if it had been worse if somebody popped around the corner and said, hey, just going to let you know, um, she's on the phone with one of her former boyfriends trying to explain the situation on how you're going to be marrying her and he 
he's not allowed to, to be there anymore. Well, what if that were the situation? It would make it very weird saying that she isn't ready. Now, I've done some crazy weddings, and I've shared with you some of the crazy weddings that I've done in my time in ministry, but there's never been anything quite like that that's ever happened, where the bride wasn't ready, because that's not the way it works. The bride prepares herself. Well, what does that look like for the church? In verse 7, it says that we remain faithful to Christ in the midst of a fallen world. See, all that we have seen in the book of Revelation, all the persecution, all the beast stuff, all the Babylon stuff, all of it is to prepare us. All of it is to purify us. All of it is to move us to trust Him more, to encourage us to live for Him, that we live by faith in Him. By faith, we walk in righteousness until He returns. But I want you to see something here. How do we do it? How do we do it in our own power? Is that how, do we try harder as a church to do it? No, it says in verse 8, she was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. So as we look at this preparedness, as we look at the church preparing, it's something the church does, or is it something that God has given? Which is it? Is it what the church does, or is it what the ch- God has given? And the answer is yes. Yes, it is, because it's really both. The bride has made herself ready. She has walked in righteousness. She has lived in purity and trusted and hoped in God. These are the things she's done, but the reason why she's able to do it is because of the grace of God, because he has allowed it. We live by faith from grace. That's actually what Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my dear friends, and therefore comes after that long thing that he talks about how Jesus humbled himself even to death on a cross. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you've already always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So it says here to work for God as God works in you. To work for God as God works in you. The grace of God is what makes the life of faith possible. Walking by faith is a work of God and the work of God's grace in our lives. Honestly, let me ask you this. What do you and I have to give to God that he hasn't already given to us? The answer is nothing. We really don't have anything to give that's why the beginning of verse 7 it says let's be glad rejoice and do what give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself why do we give god glory because he is the only way the bride can prepare herself by the grace of him we can't try harder we need his grace we are saved by grace through faith and as we do that we get to walk together we get to walk together. That's, that's really what we see here in verse 9. As we walk together, it says, Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. The marriage feast of the Lamb. I love the illustration that is here. A couple reasons. Number one, because I like food. I like to eat. And not only do I like to eat, I like to eat good food with good people. And that's the picture that we see playing itself out right here. To not be rushed. 
to not be distracted, to not be worried, and just sit and enjoy other people's company. Isn't that a rarity, though, in our culture? Don't, don't we live in a culture that is the fast food eating on the way to someplace else kind of people? Like, hey, that one doesn't have a very long line. Let's go grab it. We're going to throw some stuff in the back, and we're going to keep on driving. We miss when we don't slow down. We don't enjoy. We don't connect. We don't build relationships. We might get full, but we're not getting nourished. We're not getting nourished. Our body isn't getting what it needs, and our soul isn't getting what it needs. On Wednesday night, our connection group got together. We've been getting together on Wednesday nights for this entire semester. But we finished up Revelation, and this week we just decided to eat. Chris grilled us some great chicken. Everybody brought some stuff, and we just sat and we talked. And we connected on a level that allowed us to get to know each other better. What better thing is it than that when we see people gathered around the table growing deeper together? As a matter of fact, how many times throughout Scripture do you see the table mentioned where it's us coming together and connecting both with each other as well as with God? See, there's three times that I saw right pop right into my head and two of them actually tied together. The first one, the Passover feast. The Passover feast. And the second one that ties together with that would be the Last Supper. And as you begin to look at those things in the table in the Bible, and they're based there, both celebrate what God has done for his people. When God intervened, he invited his people to sit around a table and celebrate with him, to remember what he's done, to remember his faithfulness. In the midst of the hard times, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of persecution, come to the table. But then there's a third table that mentioned that, that, that popped into my mind that I saw, and maybe you've heard this before because it's found in Psalm 23, going back to our psalms that we already tied into. Psalm 23 is one that most of us have probably heard because they play it, they do it at funerals, they do it in songs, they do it all over. So I want to read this, and I'm going to read it from the CSB, so if you're in the New King James Version kind of mentality, bear with me, okay? But this is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And here it is in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I read six verses, but it's summarized simply as this. God's constant provision and protection. I love how Eugene Peterson, who's the author of the message translation of the Bible, ties this together. Listen to what he says about Psalm 23 and Revelation 19. The Lord presides over a meal as a host. A war has rendered all enemies powerless to harm. Psalm 23 and Revelation 19 are companion pieces in the exposition of salvation, showing forth the two elements of salvation, the rescue from the catastrophe of the shadow of death and hospitality at the table where we were made whole with the intimacies of goodness and mercy. When we see the table in the scripture here, the table shows us that our enemies are powerless. We see, in Jewish custom, the host was there to protect his guests. 
And we also see the hospitality of Jesus where he feeds us goodness and mercy. One of the seven I am's is I am the bread of life. He is giving us the bread of life. He is feeding us himself. We come to the table to be strengthened. We come to the, label, to, to the table to be formed. We come to the table to be reminded. And even as we see in the book of Revelation, we come to the table to be encouraged, to slow down, to be connected to God, to be connected with others, and to be filled with the bread of life. You are invited. That's what this passage says. You are invited to sit and enjoy God. He says, stop eating the garbage of the world that will not nourish your soul. Quit chasing after those things and instead feast with him. If you're running ragged and trying to sustain yourself from the fast food garbage of the world, stop. Slow down. Enjoy God. Sit in his presence. How often do we do that? How often do we sit in the presence of God? How often do we soak him in? How often are we filled? How often do we praise him for his goodness? How often do we praise him for his provision? How often do we praise him for his protection? How often do we cry out, hallelujah, to the king of kings? My challenge for you is this. We gather together on a Sunday morning. We get to experience the songs and all of the things that that get said and the book being opened but we can't just eat once a week. You will starve. Be in your word. Be eating and sitting in the presence of God and see the amazingness of who he is so we can praise his name by saying hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for who you are. And we're grateful for what you continue to do. And we're grateful that today as we looked at Revelation, we get to say hallelujah. It's not about doom. It's not about gloom. It's not about you pouring out wrath. It's about us praising your name because all those things are done. And we're excited about it. We're excited about what you're doing. We're excited about how you're doing it. We're excited about the fact that you're doing it in our lives. We want to praise you by saying hallelujah, amen, in agreement. We want to raise that hallelujah to you. And we want to sing it even a little bit louder in the midst of a world that is trying to pull us away from you. Let us not be seduced by these false satisfactions, but instead be fully in love with you and see your protection, see your provision, see your goodness, and praise you for it. We pray it all in your name, Lord. Amen. I'm going to jump over here off to the side as we sing this last song. And the song is a song we sang a couple of weeks ago called Raise a Hallelujah. Raise a Hallelujah. In the presence of my enemies, we will raise a hallelujah. In all the things that are going on in this world, we will raise a hallelujah because we know that our God wins and that he has our best interests in mind. Let's praise him today. And if you need somebody to pray with you as you're struggling through something, I'll be right over here as we sing this song. Kyle?